But now we'll get, get into the, uh, the sermon. Actually, that, that was a terrible transition because, you know, I had a perfect connector from what I just said to where I'm going to start. It's not this dart. That, that, that just lives on here as a reminder that the space is not ours. It's actually for the, uh, the students. But without walls, uh, I was here the, the, the previous Sunday evening. They had a little trivia game that they were doing. And one of the questions had to do with how long can you stay alive without sleep? And it was, would you die first of lack of sleep or lack of food? And the answer is actually lack of sleep. So you can't make it much more than like a week. Um, really important. And that reminded me of a story uh, that one, one guy that I knew in college tried something called polyphasic sleeping, uh, which is essentially poly multiple phasic like periods at a time sleeping. Uh, he had read an article which said, you waste a lot of time while you sleep. The benefits of sleep are only happening in short periods. Um, and then there's a lot of this time when you're not actually like replenishing. And so he said, oh, okay, then I'll time it. And I'll take like 20 minute naps every two hours all throughout the day. And I'll get the benefits of the sleep that I need. And I'll cut out all that wasted time. So I'll have more time and I'll have more sleep. Um, I didn't know the guy well enough. It was like a friend of a friend. I think he roomed with one of my friends uh, to, to be able to ask him, hey, how's it going? But you could tell how it was going. Because, <laughs> like he, he literally thought he was going to be able to do it. But everywhere he goes, just absolutely dragging his feet, massive bags under his eyes, can hardly like engage with the world, right? He's, try, he's in college, right? I mean, he's supposed to be going to classes and doing homework. My roommate, not my roommate, his roommate, my friend, told me that one time he found him asleep in the shower, like, like st standing up. And, and it was just like, well, that's, that's not gonna work. Look, the best way, if someone's gonna make some sort of lifestyle change, the best way to tell how it's going is you just watch them, right? Like if, if your friend says, I'm gonna try this diet, you're like, oh, okay. You know, so some new, new diet or new workout program or something you're curious, you're interested in, but like you don't wanna go through the of actually doing it. It's like, cool, well, uh, keep me posted, right? You know, and then, and then you ask them, right? And then they'll tell you, if you're, if you're close enough, you, you, you know, you can ask them. They like talking about themselves. And then, of course, you don't actually have to go through the diet to know whether or not it's worth it. But if you don't know them, the best way to figure it out is just to watch them, right? Like if you're Facebook friends, you know, and, and someone posts like, hey, trying out this new workout plan, you know, like, here's what I'm going to be doing, you know, here's what I'm eating. It's like, okay, this should be interesting, right? So, so you keep scrolling, right? Like day after day. And then, I mean, if, if, it, if it works, right, they're dropping their weight, you know, they're gaining their muscle, whatever they're doing. It's like, whoa, okay, what was that? Th Let me go back and find their post, right? Or if they stop posting about their diet, you know, and they start posting about the cheeseburger they had, you know, down the road. And it's like, all right, cool. I understand how it goes. If anyone's declaring, hey, I'm making this lifestyle change, the easiest way to see how it's going for them is just watch them, you know? How is it going for them? They'll see them, observe them, right? We say we are Jesus followers, right? That's a pretty big lifestyle change. You know, we're, we're standing on the ground. Uh, how does the world know how it's going? They watch us. Right? I mean, if they're close to us, they'll ask us. Yeah, what does it mean to follow Jesus? If they aren't close to us, they'll just watch. Does it, does it look good? Is it, any, is it worth trying? Right? I mean, is there any benefit to following Jesus? Now, here's the thing. A, a couple, uh, couple weeks ago, I caught myself. Maybe you've been in, the, in this experience because there's a problem with that, right? Where you see someone who says, I follow Jesus, and then you see their life, and you're like, yeah, you sure? <laughs> you know, like, wait, you're not living the way that I would live in this way, you know? And so you're like, I understand we're all humans, we all kind of fall short, but it's like, man, I think we could do better. You know, like, it, like, like, 
I wish there was like, okay, if you say you're a Christian or if you make any sort of public statement, then you've at least got to like hit this standard. You know, it's like we've all got to at least be right here. Otherwise, we just look like everyone else, right? Like no one's, no one's going to like see what it means to be a Christ follower unless we're actually demonstrating what it looks like. And what I'm expressing is that, well, I wish, I wish God would just give like specific practical instructions for how we're supposed to live. You know, it's like, because when people, you know, you go to church and they say, how am I supposed to live? It's like, oh, well, walk in faith. You know, so all you got to do is put your hope and trust in him. You're like, yeah, I guess, but what does that mean? You know, it's like if God could just explain out in details, like what would this look like for like my everyday life? If you've ever had that desire, that thought in your head, guess what? We have Deuteronomy 12 through 26, <laughs> which, is, which is the law. This is specifically how God says, if you will be called my people, this is what your life will look like. And that's what we're going to be studying today. And so I want us to be uh, listening for what kind of laws does God care about in order that we might be able to know, well, how should we live day to day so others might know who God is. Uh, I want to pray uh, before we crack open the Bible just so that uh, we would invite God in to speak to us this morning. Dear Lord, we are your people. We want to be your followers. Uh, we want the world to see you through us. I pray that we would listen and that your spirit would move and speak to our hearts uh, through your word today. May we be open and receptive toward it. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, I think sometimes Deuteronomy 12 through 26 uh, are not studied. You know, it's probably not a popular passage uh, for devotional guides uh, just because, well, it's all these really old laws and it just kind of repeats and it's totally different cultural context. I think we forget the why. You know, we don't, if there was a purpose for us reading it, I think it'd be a little bit easier for us to read through it and understand what we're reading. Um, or perhaps we think in the back of our head, like, oh, isn't there somewhere in the New Testament where it kind of tells us, like, we aren't supposed to pay attention to too much of these details, right? And so we're like, whoops, skip over, let's go to somewhere more fun or something we find more relevant in the Bible. Uh, but, but no, you, you can probably guess what I'm going to say. Uh, these laws had extreme benefit to the Israelites, where Moses is telling them before they enter the promised land, but they've also had relevance throughout the entire history. So more than just uh, laws uh, for a particular time period, these laws express the character of God. You know, the, the reason why these laws were even there in the first place, we, we covered this in week two of our, our sermon series, if you remember all the way back then, I think it was like second week of June, uh, Moses says in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, the reason for all this is that you are going to be put up like a banner for all nations to see. So they will see the wisdom. They will see what it looks like to live so close to God. The, the world will see who God is through how you act. And so all of the laws demonstrate who God is. Uh, this concept is not just for the Israelites. It goes all the way through even to us. Uh, this is what Jesus said, very similar concept in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Oops, I missed the point. We'll come back to it. All right. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What Jesus is saying is that you are a city on a hill. Right? If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you don't do that in the dark. You don't stay hidden. Right? You get put on display so that everyone might see your good deeds. Right? Watch 
your life, see how it's going, and say, wow, your God is good. That is a good God. This is the purpose. This is, this is the point I skipped over. I was going to tell you it first as opposed to showing you first. But God's people reflect God's character to the world. This is always, always the case, always been the case in the Old Testament and for, in the New Testament and for us today, that we are meant to reflect who God is to the world so that they can see who God is, so they can know and understand, right? How, what does it look like to be a Christian? You know, we don't, we don't give them, uh, well, here, it's, it's this, this, it's, it, just watch. See how it's going and you will understand who our God is based on how we live, which means we better know God's character, the reason why we read these Old Testament laws is not because we're going to follow to a T everything that it says. If we did that, people wouldn't probably understand who God is. They'd just be really confused. Um, we'd have a lot more oxen, you know. But <laughs> the reason why we, why we read it is because it reveals God's character. Who God is. And look, God's character doesn't change. God's character remains consistent from the beginning of time, from before time even existed, and will remain consistent until till forever continues. <laughs> and so we understand who God's character is while we read these rules. Now, uh, we could spend time, I, I said it's Deuteronomy 12 all the way through Deuteronomy 26. That's 15 chapters. Uh, that's quite a few. We're not going to read them all today. I'm just going to let you know a summary of what kind of the main points are. What are the things that God cares about? And this, this is an interesting exercise, right? Just take um, our laws of today. What laws do you care about? Right? There's probably some that, oh, we pay a lot of attention to. Like, for me, I pay a lot of attention to speed limits. You know, that's, that's kind of like a daily thing is like, wish they were higher, you know? <laughs> and try, try to kind of push it a little bit. Or, you know, like how much funding is going to schools, you know, with, with my kids and, and can, we, can we increase this, you know? Or um, like how much is the HOA allowed to tell me exactly what I have to do and how much do I have to follow them? You know, like those kind of laws affect my everyday lives and I care about those. Um, th those kind of laws aren't here uh, because God actually cares about other things. And I think it's really insightful if you look at, well, what kind of laws does God make? right? There, there's actually not too much, you know, when you compare it to our whole legislative literature that we have in our, our, our country, you know, like there's only 15 chapters and this is what God said, this is what you will do, right? Tremendous freedom actually, but for specific things, this is what God cares about. What are the things that God says, I'm going to make it a point that you guys will live like this? That reflects what's important to him and that's what we've got to discover. All right, I did the work for you. And then I'll prove to you that this is true. These are the five things. I, I, I'd be hard-pressed to find one law that wouldn't fit in one of these five categories. Yes, they're broad, but these are the things that God cares about. He cares about justice. He cares about love. He cares about life. He cares about purity. And he cares about worship. Almost all the laws in, in the Old Testament that he's requiring of his people fall into one of these categories. And so um, when I originally planned out the sermon series, I was going to take this Sunday to cover all these topics. And I was going to say, here's an example of all these, therefore do them all later, let's go on to the next one. And I realized, I even told Sherry, I was like, I can't do it. We, like, these are massive topics that deserve sitting in, thinking about, debating. Like, this is where the discussion comes in, right? Because if we're saying we're going to understand God's character in each of these five categories, well, then we have to do the homework and say, well, how, how do I then live that, right? How do I reflect it? If I've got examples that don't fit my culture, how can I reflect what God's justice looks like, his love looks like, what his life looks like? So we're, we're, um, 
We're taking a little detour, a little mini-series within a series, and we're going to stay in Deuteronomy for six more weeks than we had planned. I never thought, I never thought we were going to open a nine-week series in Deuteronomy and feel like it was too short. And yet here we are. And I, I, I think you'll agree. Because, because again, it's not that we want to read Deuteronomy anymore and become Deuteronomy experts. It's we want to know the character of God. We want to know who he is. And this, this reflects who he is and the expectations, how this should work in our lives. All right, so now that's, I don't know, that probably all qualifies as the introduction. Let's get into actual Bible. How about that? All right, first thing, uh, we see, uh, I'm going to give three examples of how God values justice. Um, the first one is in chapter 16. Uh, overall, this is the message of what God's justice means to him. The guilty are punished and the innocent are acquitted. Uh, acquitted meaning that they were falsely accused and now you're saying, no, but you're actually innocent. Um, if you're not accused, then you're just kind of left alone. <laughs> uh, but in the context that we see is that God wants to make sure that those that are guilty are the ones that get punished. Those that are innocent do not get punished. That is what justice looks like, at least within these laws, in a narrow sense that we see over and over in Deuteronomy. Here's, here's an example. This is Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20. It says, Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God has given you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bride. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God has given you. And so what we see here is that God is not so much interested in how the court systems are set up, not interested in what sort of prerequisites each of the judges have to have in order to elevate to the role of judge or even how the appeals process works or how investigations are supposed to work. work. What he cares about is that you won't twist justice. Whatever you do, however you do it, you're going to do it. There will be a court system, but you better make sure that people aren't taking an easy way out, right? No bribes. If you have money, it doesn't matter. You're going to have justice. You can't pay your way out of things. No partiality, right? Someone has higher social standing than someone else. They're going to get the same justice that everyone else has. Just people that are guilty are going to be punished. You can't escape it. People that are innocent are going to be acquitted. Can't escape it. Justice and justice alone is worth valuing and pursuing is what God says here. Uh, another example I want to share with you guys comes from chapter 19, and it's one of my favorite games to play while I preach called, But What's the Context? So it's where I show you a, I show you a verse that either sounds funny or maybe it sounds familiar, and then I ask the question, but what's the context? Here's the verse. Show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Maybe you've heard this, right? This is uh, vengeance, right? This, I think, is a, is a verse that's used as a parody meaning a, a false representation of what the Old Testament law is, right? Because it sounds like, oh, if someone bumps me, then bang, I'll bump them back, right? You know, it's like someone cuts me off in traffic, I'm going to zoom around them and cut them off, right? Show them what's up, you know? And, and, and we can see in the Bible, that's actually how they interpreted this passage because Jesus refers to it and he says, you have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to them the other one as well. And so people have misinterpreted it but we, we've got to ask ourselves, what, what's the context? Because this wasn't a general proverb or wisdom like, hey, yeah, do unto others what they did to you back. You know, it's like, no, that's not right. This was meant for a very specific case, and it has to do with justice. All right, so I, I think we've got it up there, but I'm going to be reading it uh, just from, from my Bible. This is Deuteronomy 19, 16 through 21. 
It says, if a malicious witness takes the stand to accuse someone of a crime, the two people involved in the dispute must stand, bef- stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges who are in office at the time. The judges must make a thorough investigation. And if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against a fellow Israelite, then do to the false witness as that witness intended to do to the other party. You must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. I mean, I don't know if that makes it any better, right? Like, that, that's really harsh for someone who lies in court, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but when we read through the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is no false testimony. And you're like, yeah, okay, lying, you know, like not as bad as murdering, right? Well, that's not what God's saying. He, he's backing up the reason why that should be looked at as one of these laws. Look, if this person accuses someone else falsely of any crime, any crime, and he wants them to pay some sort of punishment, what God is saying through this law is that whatever that crime is, the crime of that false testimony deserves equal punishment, whatever it is, right? So, so you think there's a crime that's super bad that deserves death penalty. If they're you know, causing someone else to do it, they also deserve the death penalty. False witness is elevated to whatever level of crime. There's, there's like no crime that like, you know, there's certain limits, right? <laughs> Where it's like eye for eye, tooth for tooth, up to a thousand dollar fine, right? Or up to 20 years in prison, but no more. You know, it's like, no, no, no. It's, it will be equal to whatever other crime there is out there. God cares about justice for justice's sake too. You know, it talks about, yeah, then no one will do this again, but he does not want anyone to take action to twist justice, to pervert justice, right? To, to, to hurt someone else or to use it for their own advantage, to get out of justice through bribery, partiality. He wants the guilty to be punished, but the innocent to be acquitted as, as a principle. All right, the last example I want to share comes from earlier in chapter 19. It's, it's a, a really novel concept uh, called Cities of Refuge. Uh, it's also at the end of Numbers. If you've read that, you're more familiar with Numbers. Numbers chapter 34 has a few more details. But it, it explains a corner case of justice. What happens if someone accidentally kills someone else? Because we already know way back in Genesis chapter 9, uh, God said that he will hold accountable any man or animal that kills someone he will hold them accountable by requiring them to be killed as well. So he essentially, it sounds like, there's some debate, but it sounds like he institutes a death penalty as like all time, not just Israel, just for everyone, right? And so, okay, if I accidentally kill someone, uh, I deserve to die. But I accidentally did it. I didn't mean to. I didn't plan on it. So I'm kind of innocent too, right? So should the guilty be punished or should the innocent be acquitted? It's kind of mixed. The, the specific scenario here in, in chapter 19 is a uh, man's going out with a friend to chop trees in the woods. And he's like swinging his axe and the head falls off and, and like hits someone else and they die. So it's like, like no, no witnesses, right? Where it's like, I killed him with an axe, but I didn't mean to. Like it wasn't my fault. Like I, ah, oh, you know, like what do they do? This is the novel solution that is provided in the law. Uh, chapter 19 verses one uh, through four. When the Lord your God has destroyed the nations whose land he has given you, and when you have driven them out and settled in their towns and houses, then set aside for yourselves three cities and the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. 
Determine the distances involved and divide into three parts the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance so that a person who kills someone may flee for refuge to one of these cities. This is the rule concerning anyone who kills a person and flees there for safety. Anyone who kills a neighbor unintentionally without malice aforethought. And it goes on for more specifics. Uh, We see in numbers that that person has to get to the city and then can stay there and only there. Uh, They have to stay there until the current high priest dies. (laughs) So some indefinitely long, but also possibly super short time, uh, they have to be exiled to a city, not of their choice, but the one that's closest to them uh, as punishment for what they have done. And so what you see here is a new element to God's justice. Still very much true. The guilty must be punished, right? You killed someone. That, That has to be punished. Also, there's mercy, tremendous mercy. I will not require your life. You can continue to live, but it will be within these restrictions. So we see from God that, yes, the guilty must be punished. You cannot get out of it. In Numbers, it even says, don't let someone pay their way out of it. Don't let them make a deal with the family of the person they accidentally killed and say like, hey, if I give you this, will you let me live? No, no, no. They have to pay the price. It will not be their life, though, but they have to stay in the city. You cannot allow someone to dodge the system. That's what we see about justice. There's, there's several other passages too that we could continue to go to. Clearly, justice weighs heavily on God's heart. Question for us is then, well, what does this look like, right? Okay, I, I get it. God is a just God, and I would say that he wants uh, the guilty to be punished and the innocent to be acquitted. All right, what does that look like for us in our life? Uh, we'll get, I'll give you guys time to discuss it, but I think of three ways Um, three different paths perhaps that we can go down for application. The first is a very broad path where we look at the justice system in our society. We have to want and to work for and to support justice, that the guilty would be punished and that the innocent would be acquitted, which means we will help investigations or we won't hide, we won't um, help people dodge the the law, but we will uh, want things to be brought to their just conclusions. Uh, We will support legislation uh, that prevents bribery, that prevents uh, any sort of partiality in judging. We'll make sure that the the rich, you know, uh, uh, aren't being favored in decisions. We'll make sure that the the poor or those from minorities aren't being unfavored in decisions of justice because God actually really cares about this. And here's where I think uh, perhaps our society doesn't quite care as much. Like, yeah, sure, we want to get it right. I mean, God's saying, no, this is this is like my heartbeat. Like, like I think perverting justice, twisting justice intentionally is right up there with murder. You know, I was like, eh. you know, like God cares that things are just, that the guilty would be punished and that the innocent would be acquitted, tempered with mercy. I think a second path where we can apply this is, is more of a personal integrity piece, right? Because if we look and we see that God wants justice, guilt to be punished, well, then what right do we have to hide, right? Or, or to shift or to posture or to give part truths, right? In order to perhaps uh, lower our own consequences. Now, this is something the world accepts, right? Like if there's a way that you can kind of create an alibi or perhaps throw someone else under the bus, yeah, you do that in order to kind of save your own skin, right? God says, no, that's a, that would be a perversion of justice, right? If you're, you're making an innocent be guilty or yourself, you're lowering or lessening, what, what you deserve for your own punishment, that would be wrong. So I, I think this is the case against lying. 
How can, how can any lie be beneficial when lying is just your way of manipulating some circumstances so that you won't be affected by what the truth is, right? Like, like it's self-preservation is lying. Like I don't, I don't want to feel or I don't want to receive perhaps the consequences that I deserve to have. Therefore, let me just move around here and be slippery a little bit. God says, no, 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 no. No, the guilt must be punished. The innocent must be acquitted. Don't pull other people in except what you have coming. And so I think the third path along those same lines, I think as Christians, we need to welcome consequences and punishments. Uh, not run from them, not hide from them, not lessen them, but what is just and right. Not cruel punishments, not, not want to just break people. No, no, no. But what, what's deserved, we should accept. Also, tempered with mercy. There's room for creativity where, where the guilty are punished but with a heavy dose of mercy. Maybe not to the full extent we see that God is willing to work within the circumstances and not hold to the letter of the law. Same with us. If, if we are in a position of authority, perhaps there's room for us to give a punishment, but not maybe to the full extent that perhaps we would um, otherwise be required to give. I also want to address, if you're a parent, if you're a principal, if you're a boss, if you're in any sort of position of authority where you might be able or have the opportunity or the responsibility to give punishment, uh, you can't shy away. Uh, if someone is guilty, there needs to be punishment. Uh, you know, sometimes I think we see uh, this great forgiveness uh, teaching modeled in the New Testament where Jesus teaches us to forgive 70 times seven times. And we say, okay, great. So if someone does something wrong to me, I guess I'll just forgive them. No, that's different. That's different. Jesus is talking about person to person. Don't hold a grudge, right? Don't, don't hold them accountable to, to repay you for what they've done. But if you're in a position of authority, you have, you have a God responsibility to punish. Uh, that's in the New Testament as well, where the government is, is been given the sword by God in order to administer justice. God likes justice, wants justice, justice tempered with mercy. So it's not just to say, ah, we'll let it slide. No, no, no. Let there be a payment tempered with mercy. That's what God wants. And so the hard part for us is how do we do this? How do we love God's justice as much as God does and pursue it in all areas of our life? Lives. But we know that we are called to reflect God's character to the world and if they are going to know who our God is and see how it's going or even desire to want to follow him as well, it's going to start by looking at us and our lives and even those smallest decisions that we make. So let's pray and ask God to guide us in it. Dear Lord, um, thank you for all these laws. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're difficult for us. Some of them uh, feel so different culturally that we can't understand it, but we see you through it. We can, we can tell who you are and we can read into your character. We, we, we see your love for justice, God, and, and I confess that I don't love justice that much. I tend to turn a blind eye toward injustices or I tend to allow myself to not pursue justice in all areas. And Lord, I pray that all of us and as a society that we would recognize that and choose to pursue your justice. Not our justice, not revenge, but the right amount where the guilty Lord have to pay their punishment and the innocent are washed free. Lord, we thank you, and I pray that you would guide us in how this should look for our lives. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.
So justice is a big theme, not just in Deuteronomy, but in the entire Bible. Uh, the Israelites fail to keep their part of the covenant, and it is just for the punishment that they receive of exile. Uh, but God, of course, eventually restores, restores them as they turn back to him. Uh, we also are in the same boat where we do not follow God perfectly. Uh, we tend to uh, have this, this penchant for following our own ideas, our own designs, and not trusting God to lead us and guide us. And our own ways do lead to death and have a just penalty of death. We certainly don't deserve God's eternal life. And so the problem that the Bible presents is that if we ever want anything of God's life, we can't have it. Why? Because we are guilty and we deserve our just punishment, which is death. But God in his mercy and in his justice allowed for a substitute to pay our penalty for us. The penalty still had to be paid. God's justice would be satisfied, but there was great mercy in that it would not have to be us that pays the penalty, but it was Jesus, his own son. And so when we look to the cross as we're going to for communion, we remember God's justice tempered by his mercy and that he loves us in order that he can be with us, we can be with him, our penalty can be paid and we can be now innocent and have this relationship with God. That's what we celebrate when we take communion. It's somber because we recognize the cost. We recognize our own wanderings that have led us to this death penalty, but it's also great joy because we praise God for this love, this mercy that he decided to choose to us on his own, not from anything that we could do. So this morning, uh, let's sit there and reflect, um, but then also ask that God would change our hearts so we could see his justice and also want to pursue that in all areas of our life. We're going to take communion uh, as we do down the, the front and center. So we'll kind of go around and make a line down the middle. We'll take the elements, then we'll go back to our chairs, uh, and then we'll all take them together. I'll come up and lead us in that. Uh, we invite anyone who wants to follow Jesus with their life to take communion with us. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we'll take them at your seats when we're done. So let's take communion together this morning. On the night that he was betrayed, uh, Jesus took the bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant which is in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And this way we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me? Jesus, we thank you for your love demonstrated to us in your death on the cross. We see your mercy and your justice expressed and satisfied at the same time. Lord, I pray that you would show us how to do that, how to be just, how to provide the right punishments, how to discern between the guilty and the innocent, and how to have the, the right measure of mercy, God. May we reflect who you are to others around us because you have demonstrated so powerfully to us your justice tempered by mercy. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that our sins are clean and that we can have this relationship with you that you want to be with us and now you're with us by your spirit. May you continue to fill us, to lead us, to guide us, to teach us. We want to know you more and we want to reflect you better to the world beyond. 
In your name we pray. Amen. All right, I'll give you guys maybe three minutes, but all I'm mainly doing is, is getting these questions to you. Um, you have the homework of applying these questions on how do we then live God's justice out in our lives. Uh, we'll gather in groups. The only rule is you got you to gather with someone that you didn't come here with. Um, and then continue to talk about these in your families, community groups, or whoever else you want to talk with. Uh, first, uh, where are you expected to bring justice to those around you? So are you ever in a position where you can administer it yourself? Two, where does a worldly understanding of justice fall short of God's justice? Try to make a compare and contrast with what you see in culture. And then lastly, how can your daily life reflect God's justice? Make it specific to your situation, your personality, who you are. All right, we'll take maybe three minutes, pick one of the questions, uh, start answering it, and then I'll dismiss us. And then, of course, you can stay as long as you'd like.